You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to the program for the sun this Sunday afternoon. A bit of a milder Sunday afternoon than the last few we've had, but um, it's it's nearly winter, so it's going to get much colder. Uh, on the program this afternoon, we are going to be catching up with Ms. Guidance from the Nimbin Hemp Embassy. Uh, also catching up with... Uh, Adriana Bucciante, thank uh, you. campaigner for pill testing, and Tom Marrett, an SSDP member from South Australia. And um, hearing a bit more about South Australia's plans, uh, plans to... Uh, uh, to send sniffer dogs into high schools, which is a, a bit of a shocking proposal that uh, came up about a week and a half ago. Uh, in the studio with me today, Ash Blackwell. Ash, how you doing? Fantastic, thanks, Nick. And also Emily Rosman. How you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. And uh, Emily uh, is going to uh, potentially join us a little bit more in the future on, on the program. So um, is, there, is there anything you want to say? Do you want to just say hello? Or, um Hello. <laughs> excellent, excellent. We're going to get into some news, I think. Uh, we've got a bit of news. We've got a lot on the program, so we'll get stuck right into it. Oh, before we do, though, in about two weeks' time, it is the 3CR Radiothon Fight for Your Mic, uh, and we will be asking. We've got a, we've got our, I've got our target here. I've got some information on how to, how to do it, and we're asking you to donate. Uh, 3cr.org.au is the website to look for more information on that, and uh, it will... Our, our program will have a bit of a special program we might uh, get somebody in to talk uh, legal issues and take a few questions um, and uh, also raise money for the Radiothon then uh, it's news time and psychedelia news of the week I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought the intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues, so they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or, or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. I'm going to start with one from Teen Vogue. Um, I think it's interesting that they're doing such good journalism on on drug issues and also on sexual assault and other things. Um, These are things that often affect young people, um, but young people are often spoken about uh, rather than being represented in these conversations. So this article was titled, What You Should Know About Drug Cocktailing, also known as polysubstance use. That's where more than one substance is used, either at the same time or over a period of time, such as a festival. And it's a really good article that goes into why people uh, would choose to do this. And it's you know pretty much the same reasons as why people would take drugs in the first place to experiment or to elicit a good feeling. Um, <clears throat> it talks about um, 
things like, for example, uh, candy flipping is a term that refers to using LSD and MDMA in combination. And um, in with organizations like Tripsit that uh, create guides for how different substances interact, this is called a synergistic uh, combination, which is kind of referred to in shorthand as two plus two equals five. So rather than just the two effects existing, um, they kind of like combine to create a greater effect. And this could be something that's um, pleasurable, something that people are doing because they want to do it. Or it could be something that makes the effects intense and uncomfortable. So it's good to kind of know about these kind of effects. One of the uh, other important uh, things that the article covered, especially in the United States context, is that polysubstance use is responsible for most deaths reported simply as opioid overdoses. Um, For example, all heroin-related deaths in Florida in 2016 involved at least one or more other substance. And um, I think we've got a similar thing here where, you know, we we have things listed as uh, heroin overdoses or opiate overdoses that um, don't, don't kind of account for the nuance where most of them involve either alcohol or benzodiazepines or or something like that. We often get um, poor reporting around the complexity of how uh, a death can occur when there's drugs involved. Um, Even even some of them, there was a a man who was widely reported to have died because of um, a synthetic cannabinoid that he smoked. But uh, the original report, what had happened was he had entered into a panicked panicked state and actually accidentally drowned himself so it was water that that killed him not the drug not that the i think there it's important to note note those differences because otherwise you're not really learning anything from from what happened um but uh i can see instead of saying that somebody drowned in a panic state they're saying oh it was the drug that did it so often the actions that somebody has when they're under the influence of the drug are just said to be the drug, even though we know that other people using that same drug because maybe more of preparedness, maybe uh, they're just, uh, they've slept better or eaten better, whatever it happens to be, um, then they won't have the same reaction. So that's why it's important to distinguish. It's not the drug, it is the human, but uh, the drug does have effects that can certainly exacerbate things and the combinations thereof as well. You got one? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, over in uh, Berlin, actually. We had, um, last week we were talking about a protest that happened in uh, the Georgia. In Georgia. Uh, now the Berlin club community have uh, planned a protest rave against <laughs> a uh, far-right rally. Uh, Berlin, pretty well known for its sort of liberal political culture and, uh, and party scene. And uh, on actually today in uh, Berlin, so I suppose it'll be later today because it's still uh, probably morning there at the moment, uh, a collection of parties uh, are getting together to oppose, uh, create a counter-protest that will sweep across the city with dozens of clubs and parties um, to counter-protest a far-right uh, rally that's uh, that's happening as well. They figure that um, music is a better way to, to fight it than any other way that they can think of. And, yeah, this is just after the the uh, protest in Georgia from the club community or from the dance community or electronic music community. Uh, interesting development. We know it's happened in the past. Never happened. Never- oh, has it happened in Australia? Hmm. The, uh, the way that we've protested far-right elect- rallies. El- no, elect- uh, communities around electronic music protesting for- on political issues. Well, 
I think that like dance music has always come from a political place, so it's always kind of been a form of protest. So like in the eighties in New York and stuff, um, they were, oh, and in Chicago they had the disco demolition riots where they um, burnt a bunch of disco records because it was black and gay music, and so the black and gay communities were forced into nightclubs and like created basically dance music. So true, it does have a long history. Um- and there probably are some things that would be interesting to find out. I'm, I'm trying to, like, rack my brain if there's <laughs> things in Australia. Um, I mean, I suppose I've seen videos of some of the, the Brunswick Street parties. They're just parties, but, geez, they, uh, I, I mean, they're politically active. And these were in the 90s, late uh, 90s, Yeah, I remember 2000s. going to some in the late yeah. 90s, early probably, 2000s. It was, a lot um, of one of my too. first parties back in 99 was the Brunswick Street Festival after my first rave party. <laughs> and it clo- closed off the whole street? <laughs> closed off the whole street. It was an house down a side bit, other music down the down the front there was about three or four stages playing electronic music more news (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i'm getting lost in the revelry of my like you know rave honeymoon (laughs) um yeah i think i find most police stories kind of boring in in drug news every week you get a report of some such bust here or there or somebody being arrested but what i do like to focus on is stories of police corruption yeah, and corruption within the justice system. So there's currently an inquiry happening in New South Wales into um, corruption within the prison system there. And ICAC has been told that um, some prison guards are alleged to have bashed an inmate and planted drugs uh, in their mm. cell. Um, and, you know, it's still going through the, the process of hearings and stuff. So it's no, there's no findings to report yet. But, um, you know, I just like to kind of highlight this because when we think about uh, the way that um, this law and order debate happens and the idea of just throwing people into jail to, to fix them, well, we need to think about, well, how do they, what do those jails do? How do they, you know, quote unquote, fix anything? What are they for? And um, how are they scrutinised in the sense of like we're trying to scrutinise the community outside of the prison system, but then within the prison system, um, you know, what kind of corrupt environments exist there? Yeah, and I think as well prisoners are like sort of treated as like guilty before um being proven innocent just like by default as well so no matter what happens and they try to like you know complain about it or whatever like they're never going to be believed which is really unfortunate mm-hmm. Um, crossing to the Northern Territory, where an announcement uh, this week from the Chief Minister um, was that they're looking at decriminalising uh, cannabis. Um, I think also looking into legalisation. Was that... Um, the- I've still got to delve into the depth of it. My understanding is the conversation was around potentially decriminalising all drugs and legalising cannabis. Uh, here's just a little um, outtake from Chief Minister in the Northern Territory, Michael Gunner talking about the policy. Come on, Michael. No, he's silent. Okay. Thought that would work. Never mind. Um, Michael Gunner is the Chief Minister in the Northern Territory. We uh, did call the office uh, for comment uh, on Friday, but um, we didn't hear back. I ended up at the uh, end of a uh, message bank that just went nowhere. Uh, so we'll hopefully get some more detail on that and find out what um, what the plan is over in the Northern Territory. Um, but it looks like there's changes afoot across the country. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, there's there's uh, promising signs, I think, that we, that we might get somewhere. But I think, uh, you know, the past has taught us that you got to fight all the way to the finish line. Um, you know, you kind of can't coast that last bit. Otherwise, they'll, they'll snatch victory out of your hands. Um, <clears throat> some awful news from around the world. 
it seems that Bangladesh may be going down the route of the Philippines in terms of the way that they're uh, prosecuting the drug war there. And um, there's been concerns about uh, civilians being caught in the crossfire as uh, violent police raids happen in regional villages. And, you know, I think at least 60 people have died so far. The uh, head of the opposition, um, Secretary General uh, Mirza Fakrul, uh, um, today alleged that, well, in this article, alleged that people have been killed in the crossfire and that around 30 people were killed in the crossfire in a span of days in the name of anti-narcotic drives. Uh, so I guess, you know, it's one more for us to keep an eye on. Indonesia has been kind of escalating the violence of their, their drug war there in recent times as well. And um, while we're kind of going through the horrors of um, the Asian region, uh, an Australian grandmother was uh, found guilty of drug trafficking on appeal and sentenced to death earlier this week. She has one more legal avenue uh, for appeal. and In, um, in the Philippines? In Malaysia, in, sorry. In Malaysia, yeah. right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, lots happening through that region. Yeah, it would be good to find more we have um looked to speak to some people before but it's um difficult difficult to get um to get good good contacts um but yeah there's a lot of shocking things going on um any final news stories or i do hang on yeah what do we got well there's maybe i'll just whiz through a couple very quickly so in tasmania the um the head of the Chamber of Business and Commerce has uh, written an op-ed calling for more drug testing in the workplace and um, that's been responded to by different legal institutions and unions that are concerned about the way this is conducted and the cost that it would impose on businesses. So uh, I guess suffice to say there's an active debate on that issue in Tasmania right now. Um, in uh, in Western Australia, uh, an inquiry has just, I, th- I think they've just wrapped up into um, the way that drugs are handled in hospitals. There's been some criticism of the way um, both that uh, missing drugs are reported and investigated. And there's been some criticism of the way that these issues of drug use in the workforce are handled internally. Um, as you would expect in a health environment, they tend to handle these things uh, from a health approach. Um, and there's been a bit of back and forth on, on that issue and how it relates to patient safety. So how to balance the concerns of patient safety, responsibility and accountability uh, with those of support for, for a workforce that, that works in a very challenging environment. So just a quick sort of snap around those issues. We're going to be catching up with uh, Ms. Gardens from the Nimbin Hemp Embassy up shortly uh, right now on 3CR. This is Temple Step Project with Murray Kyle here in the now. It's a Kalioskintilla remix. This is in Psychedelia. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Joined now by our Nimbin Hemp Embassy liaison, Ms. Guidance. Welcome to the program. 
thank you very much, Nick. And uh, also thank you for giving me a few weeks off uh, before I speak to you because it has been a busy few weeks after Mardi Gras. Yeah, so So, of, um, yeah, we had an awesome time, yeah, back on the first weekend in May. You know, the biggest protest, uh, well, cannabis law reform protest in Australia, been running for 26 years. Uh, so heaps of people came and sort of made their feelings known about prohibition, what bad news it is. And um, according to uh, Rupert Murdoch's paper, there were 10,000 people there. Oh. Though that sounds a bit full on. Um, <laughs> they also reported when they said there were 10,000 people there that they managed to, um, I think, arrest uh, a total of uh, 18 and... Um, and uh, give 19 people cannabis cautions. Wow. So, Out in force. You know, that that was, yeah, I was going to say, that's the riot squad. I should try to find that headline name as well. It was so hilarious. They, um, uh, it was something like, uh, basically, here it is, dozens found with drugs at Nimbin's Mardi Gras. <laughs> I, in response to that, you go, do. Mm. You know, it's a drug festival after all, guys. But anyway, um, they had the riot squad there this year. Wow. I think it's been a couple of years since they came. And so basically it's a lot of very, um, I mean, cops that must spend a lot of time in the gym. Some of them look like Judge Dredd. They're just enormous. <laughs> so, yeah, cops wandering around with riot squad written on the back of their overalls at this really, you know, happy, positive, um, we're going to, you know, cause a revolution, guys, <laughs> type of event. So I think they must have a nice time. They must high-five each other when they hear they're coming to Mardi Gras because, <laughs> yeah, as you know, there's a lot of riots happen there. Yeah, how, um, how is the interaction? I, I'm guessing that it's pretty, um, uh, just pretty cordial generally with the police. Yeah, it's pretty chill. There's all sorts of amazing, um, you know, amazing activities going on, all sorts of music um, in keeping with the you know, the temporary autonomous zone or the DIY spirit. There's lots of people just come and do stuff. So it's, you know, those kinds of events where it's really, uh, I guess, a community coming together, a gathering of a tribe. Um, the other way that the police, I guess, like to show their presence is the good old uh, roadside drug testing. And so they had, uh, like they have in the last few years, they had all the, basically all the roads leading into Nimbin closed and had uh, random drug testing going on. Well, it's not really random if you're sort of blockading a town, I guess. But once again, um, I haven't seen anything official, but we kind of got told the few days after Mardi Gras that there were around 1,800 um, drivers tested and 5% of those tests came out positive. So that's around about 90 people. Um, so that's kind of similar to the last few years as well. So once again, you know, you've got a situation where police are spending a huge amount of taxpayers' money on this kind of law enforcement that really doesn't have, I guess, the return that you'd expect for that kind of um, uh, expenditure because it wouldn't just be the drug test, of course, you know, the, co the cost of all those police being there for three days and uh, or four days rather. Uh, and also, um, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's over overdoing it a bit, but I guess they've got to kind of send a message to us that, you know, they're still involved in making sure that um, we don't, 
I don't know, I'm not sure. We don't uh, <laughs> use a plant that is illegal. <laughs> I know yeah, you got to be wary I'm of sorry, that. I'm sorry, I just, I'm walking around in absurd land all the time being interested in cannabis law reform. Like, it's, you just can't believe it's happening. And I know people um, have been thinking this for decades, but, yeah, sometimes you got to step back and go, we, we live somewhere where helicopters come and hover over your house looking for a plant. It's like some... Philip Dick sci-fi novel, really, isn't it? So, so there has been a bit of activism up in that area around the issue of drug driving protests around the magistrates' court, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. It, have you followed much of like the impact in the community? Because you know, I think New South Wales is the same as Victoria. Yeah. You get an instant loss of license, and that obviously has like a, a flow-on effect: employment, um, accessibility to services for anyone that you know needs medical care. They might not be able to drive there. Is there much? happening in the community around speaking about those issues or supporting people? Yeah, it's really, yeah, you've just um, given us a beautiful list of the injustice of this um, so-called, you know, law police action. Uh, the I, Even though I, I'm, I'm going to sound old-fashioned and say I really hate social media, but anyway, I'm there like everyone else. Um, but it's actually been um, via social media that the the main focus of uh, even local activism up here has been happening in terms of, I guess, uh, trying to um, let the community help each other um, in keeping an eye out for where these um, unfair sort of roadblocks are set up. And uh, so there's a wonderful uh, page on Facebook um, up here called North Coast RDT Locations. Uh, it now has something like 18,000 members. Uh, so it's an amazingly excellent resource. To me, it's the best use of social media when you actually uh, use it to bring a community together to, I guess, um, it's a kind of a protest People are simply letting each other know where they're seeing the cops. And I tell you what, there's a lot of uh, police activity on the roads up here. Um, at Mardi Gras, one of uh, the speakers was David Shoebridge, who is a Greens MP in New South Wales. And he uh, told us that uh, basically the area between the Tweed border with Queensland, Tweed Heads, down through to Byron Bay, is the most heavily uh, policed area in terms of these um, uh, roadside drug tests. Mm. So, yeah, um, they're not so random, really, are they? And they're totally targeting sort of specific, um, in this case, a part of the state. So, um, yeah, it's... But, yeah, the um, other than just uh, the, the hemp embassy spearheads, a lot of protests that happen on the ground... But uh, definitely this, to me, this Facebook group is, um, is a really great thing to, resource to have. And, uh, yeah, if you're a bit uncertain about whether you should be driving, you can just check on and see whether things look clear. <laughs> we also have the absurd situation of, um, you know, there's highway patrol. But, I don't know, around here the highway patrol spend all of their time on tiny little windy roads. It's um, once again a very unfortunate attack on the cannabis community and especially weird and disturbing in a time when, in, you know, there's an increasing number of uh, 
what I'd call, I guess, ex-straight people who are using uh, cannabis now for medical reasons and often for very serious illnesses. Um, so suddenly, you know, as that is growing over the years, this um, concurrent or parallel um, rise in like police, I guess, harassing the community over the use of cannabis. The, the, the change with medical cannabis and, and other political discussions, you know, around cannabis, such as Senator Lionhelm's bill in the federal parliament, um, you know, the community conversation has really changed over the last couple of years. And we've got a billion dollar industry of medical cannabis, which I don't really know what they supply with that that billion dollars. But has that all changed the uh, the vibe or, or the way that um, the Mardi Gras happens? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the I guess the you know the protest vibe of the Mardi Gras is still a really big strong aspect. But I guess what the the uh, growing interest in medical cannabis has um, has shown is uh, um, a more diverse or a changing demographic of cannabis users. And so Mardi Gras itself, even though it's a wonderful celebration and a place for if you just want to come and have fun, it's also a place where there's, um, yeah, very, I guess, serious discussions um, about um, basically the more serious edge of cannabis use where people are uh, using it for medical reasons that, that range from, um, you know, sort of more minor ailments up until life-threatening and even terminal illnesses. And uh, so to have at Mardi Gras... Uh, in evidence, you know, people that are part of that community um, is is a really wonderful sort of evolution. And, uh, you know, there's a number of people in that community, just regular everyday people who are facing, um, who are in court um, and facing uh, trials over their um, basically production of medical cannabis. And uh, so at Mardi Gras, we actually had... Um, uh, Greg Barnes, who's a well-known uh, human rights lawyer uh, based in Tasmania, and uh, he is uh, extending his help to a number of people who are currently facing courts over medical cannabis charges. And by the way, these terrible criminals that they've brought to justice are, you know, people like a, a father growing uh, cannabis to um, to juice for his uh, daughters who suffer from a really debilitating condition known as Crohn's disease. Um, I'm really pleased that the police are making a big effort to keep these people off the streets. They're really frightening sort of people. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the other people involved are um, basically uh, people that were growing and making medical cannabis products um, for others and in most cases were giving them away. So it's, um, you know, these the police sort of attacking people in, in these circumstances is extremely unfortunate because um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a human rights issue in lots of ways. It's, it's now getting to the point where, um, uh, you know, really, really intruding on people's lives, even to the point of... Um, deciding what, uh, you know, medical treatments we want to take. And we, um, you know, for a few years we've been saying it's time to get the police out of healthcare. <laughs> so it's it's kind of serious because, um, yeah, they know nothing about what's going on. It's, um, it's basically this lingering and really harmful uh, discrimination against uh, people that use certain drugs. Um, our societies have 
um, progressed in ways that we, you know, we don't like to be sexist or racist and all the rest of it, but it seems like chemical bigotry is still alive and well. Like, uh, it's a really absurd and really strange situation for so-called democracies and freedom-loving countries to be in, mm. you know, attacking uh, really ill people. It needs to change, and, um, I mean, that's the ongoing conversation that you've been having at Mardi Gras since 1993? Yes, I yeah. believe so, yes. <laughs> and um, this year, uh, just running a bit out of time, but, Favourite speaker? Did you have somebody that really stood out that said something that people need to hear now to share with us? Yeah, I guess um, uh, very quickly on the local front, I always love David Shoebridge. He's um, Greens MP from New South Wales and he comes, uh, he's been coming a number of years to Mardi Gras and he's very practical and gives people good advice on, for instance, dealing with police. Um, he usually also reveals some very unfortunate information that um, that you wish you didn't know, <laughs> like, for example, police having, you know, uh, these uh, lists um, of, uh, in New South Wales, around 1,500 young people, um, mostly 50% of them are under 15 years of age and the youngest is nine. Also around half of them are Indigenous children. So basically these what are this kids that are essentially picked on. Well, <laughs> so, so it's like... Uh, well, how did they end up on a list like that? Well, yes, one would wonder. I guess they come from certain families maybe. So uh, it's an opaque maybe. list as well. Yeah, it's uh, so David has managed to gain this information through freedom of uh, information access and whatever special powers par you know people in Parliament have to gain information. So yeah, it's um, it's basically a list of who the police can just easily harass. Mm. So you know, there's you know whole little the communities of young people that are growing up hating police. And I'd say that one of the easy ways you can harass them, of course, is, um, you know, that they might have some cannabis on them. They can do things like uh, make these people um, not be in certain places, like move them along all the time. It's, um, I don't know, once again, it's sort of shocking to learn how police um, operate in our country and uh, it's good to really make sure these conversations are out there and uh, that we try to keep them account accountable for these things. Because um, I've said it before, like prohibition equals um, a police state. So the longer that kind of uh, these kind of laws against essentially lifestyles and plants or whatever um, linger, you have uh, easy ways for police to interfere in people's lives. And uh, when there's really no point, there's no reason for them to be doing that. They've probably got more serious things to be considering. Before we uh, finish up, uh, do you want to give us some comments on the South Australian government's plan to send sniffer dogs into secondary schools, public secondary schools? The private ones can opt out if they so choose. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. Have you heard about oh, this? Wow. Yeah, I guess all this stuff, it's, um, you know, the thin edge of the wedge. Um, I was just uh, talking with someone the other day about the, the roadside drug testing that's going on in vehicles. I guess the, the wedge that sort of got stuck in there to begin with was we allowed them to test us in the workplace. And um, it, it's like you 
just keep allowing all these little things to happen and then they sort of snowball into bigger things. Um, I trust the students of South Australia to start protesting against that. I'm sure they will. Um, that's, yeah, that's incredibly ridiculous. And you, you sort of think, um, honestly, the police and their dogs have nothing better to do. Mm. Um, it's like they're, it's, you know, if the riot squad at Mardi Gras, it's like, where in Australia do you need riot squads? It's like... Football? Yeah, there's um, there's like these, uh, as we know, these other senses of reality going on amongst people that have power in our country, and it's like they're desperate for us to become some kind of violent, um, sort of riot-filled, um, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah or something. does um, seem very yeah. aggravating at times, yeah. Um, Ms Gardens, thank you very much for joining us on In Psychedelia this afternoon from the Nimbin Hemp Embassy. No problemo. Uh, thank you for uh, letting us um, have a bit of a blag. <laughs> and if you want to want to find more or follow more from the Hemp Embassy, website is hempembassy.net. Uh, there's also the Mardi Gras website. They're on social media, so you can go and find out more. I think you've got an uh, email um, out, a news that covers cannabis news across Australia as well that you can sign up for, so yep, go check yep, it out. Yep. Hempembassy.net. Yep. Thank <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Gardens. <laughs> In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Three CR Community Radio eight five five AM, three CR Digital, and three CR You're listening to In Psychedelia. We're talking all issues, drugs, and right now on the uh, on the phone, uh, we have Tom Marat from the uh, University of Adelaide, um, who is also from Students for Sensible Drug Policy uh, over in South Australia. Tom, how you doing? Not too bad yourself. Yeah, pretty well. Now, um, you wrote a piece this week for SSDP website, ssdp.org.au, uh, uh, about the plan uh, by your government over there in South Australia to put uh, sniffer dogs into high schools. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, proposal? So, I guess this proposal is that um, Stephen Marshall, in his pre-election sort of run-up, said to um, South Australia... Uh, we want to curb the drug issue in our schools. And to do that, he has put forward the idea that they'll bring in passive alert detection dogs to sniff out drugs in our schools and criminalise uh, teenagers for making probably maybe not the best decision. And how's it been landing over there in the community? Has there been much talk about it in the media there? Um. Surprisingly, there isn't much talk about it at all, I would say. Um, and when there is talk about it, it, it's opposition to it isn't so much built on the grounds that, you know, we shouldn't do this. It's, it's just, you know, um, it's, it's actually sort of, it feels like it's, it's, it's accepted, like it's something that we should do, which 
is is a bit wrong, really. It's yeah, it it is um strange that it's been received so well. But I mean, has there been um have there been any sort of incidents that have happened, high profile incidents that we might not have heard about in other states, but you might have had splashed across the South Australian news um, of drugs in high schools that's built this up as an issue or anything like that that's sort of led toward this? Or is it really just to, sort of the law and order liberals coming in and uh, and just uh, putting forward policies that seem to come from where knows? We'll talk about that next. <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty much exactly what what I feel has happened here. Um, there hasn't really been any issue uh, in the in the media about drugs at school. Um, maybe a couple of uh, you know um, sort of small stories of people having cannabis at school or something like that. But once again, that happens everywhere, and that's you know it's probably not big enough of an issue to, to warrant uh, bringing drug dogs into our schools. So yeah, I do think that it is a bit of political pandering and um, that that law and order sort of liberal uh, political strategy at play here. And what about the the fact that um, in some of the reporting it highlighted that um, <clears throat> public schools would all, all be automatically a part of this uh, program, but private schools could opt in? What did you make of that? Uh, outrageous. I mean, if you, if you are concerned about drugs in our schools, to just exclude uh, you know a, a certain percentage of, of kids who, you know, you should be caring for if this is your strategy, it, it seems a bit ludicrous, to be honest. And the like, um, the class that... element there as well, like, the, you know, that uh, oh, they're, they're kind of targeting these poor schools and, and you know, the, the rich kids are presumed to just be clean, good and, you know, law-abiding citizens or some rubbish like that. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely ludicrous. Do you have any idea um, if the Liberal government did any consulting um, before they went and uh, proposed this? Or uh, from because from what we've read so far, it doesn't seem like they've really uh, gone out too far, spoken to any experts about this, spoken to any I don't know uh, education experts or people working in the Ministry of Education or whatever Department of Education, whatever it's called over in South Australia. Uh, any idea? Um, I'm not too sure of uh, any consultation taken by the Liberal Party, but um, just on a you know a theory, if they had consulted anyone about this, they would have assumedly said this is probably not the best way to go. Yeah, I don't think there'd be many people that would uh, say otherwise. Uh, it seems like a, 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 pol- a very harebrained policy that hasn't had a lot of uh, um, real critical thought into it, just sort of a, a, a proposal to, to look the part uh, for a certain image of how we're doing, you know, law and order. Now, I know the Greens in South Australia have made <clears throat> some initial comments in Parliament opposing this. Do you know where the Labor opposition sits on the issue? Are they kind of staying quiet and ducking it or are they uh, actually opposing it as well? Um, they are staying relatively quiet, but from what I have read... Um Malinowskis, the uh, opposition uh, premier, uh, the, no, the opposition leader, sorry, um, uh, wasn't actually opposed to the idea. Mm. And that's another area which I find uh, crazy that, you know, this is an easy area to win, but yet, you know, they're there on board with it. They, they don't see too much of a problem with it. Yeah. Weak opposition... Elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. Um, Look, we've got to wrap it up. We've got to go to Adriana next. But um, thanks for joining us on the show, Tom, and congratulations on your first blog for uh, SSDP. 
Thank you guys for having me on. That's uh, Tom Morat uh, from Students for Sensible Drug Policy over in South Australia. Uh, he's from the University of Adelaide. And if you want to read his piece, read a little bit more about uh, what's going on in South Oz, ssdp.org.au uh, is the website. Uh, please go find out. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Get a healthy dose of anti-nuclear, peace and sustainability issues on The Radioactive Show. 10am Saturdays on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial. And also podcast and web streamed on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. The Radioactive Show, where every bit of exposure makes you stronger. In Psychedelia, 3cr.org.au if you want to find our social media links, Facebook and Twitter, we're on. And, um, you know, we might even get an Instagram in the future or something <laughs> if we find time to do these things. Uh, this is 3CR and uh, we do talk all things drugs on this show. The uh, many issues that erupt up around drugs and, geez, there's been a lot to talk about over the past three or so years. Um, now on the line, uh, Adriana Bucchianti, uh, campaigner for drug law reform, especially pill testing, after her uh, son passed away uh, five, five, six... 2012. Six years years ago now. Adriana, welcome to the program. Hi, Chris. uh, Nick, how are you? (laughs) Good, how are you? Good, good, good. Now, it's been an eventful week for you this week. Uh, You've done a bit of travelling. Yes, yes. I... um it was something that uh, it was actually quite unexpected, really. I um, I met with a couple of uh, of polys over in uh, in Canberra, and uh, I was very surprised and uh, and excited, really, that they were um, interested in um, not only my story and Daniel's story, really, because it is Daniel's story. Um, and the issue on um, drug reform and pill testing. So this has all been uh, sort of the, the sum, uh, the culmination of a uh, petition that's been online for uh, must be about twelve months well, it's now. Bit, it, oh, it's, it's it's about two years. Two I years, believe. Right? Two years, almost three. Um, it started. Uh, it's a change.org petition, and it started when that young lady um, died in uh, New South Wales, a 19-year-old. And um, it just galvanised me into deciding that I needed to do something because uh, I felt re-traumatised all over again. 
I understood exactly what the parents would have had to have gone through or were going through at the time with the autopsy and the toxicology report. And then when you receive the death certificate and then you look at your child's birth certificate and you can't, you, you just can't fathom what that feels like. And uh, so I thought really no parent should have to go through this again. So I started the change.org Stop the Death petition, which has about 39, almost 40,000 signatures. And um, and uh, we're continuing. So um, <clears throat> after the pill testing trial in um, the ACT, there was a liberal mm -hmm. backbencher, Warren Ench, and a, and a federal Labor yes. backbencher, Lisa Singh, that came out to publicly support it. And uh, you got yes. to meet with them in Canberra. How was that experience? Oh, look, it was, it was, uh, it was very interesting. Um, they were saying that uh, they wanted more information. Uh, Warren said, and interestingly enough, I, you know, I keep saying, you know, in the last six years, you know, as a parent, I'm standing alone and, and uh, you know, I seem to be the only parent that's calling out for this and right, and, and that's fine. But he said, you know, do you realise that there's 40,000 signatures and you really, you, they're asking you to represent this issue and, and it sort of changed me completely. And, and the way I, I look at it, um, he, they both wanted more information. I'm going to meet with another politician in about two and a half weeks. And uh, I think it's just um, the issue certainly escalating. I think people are talking about it more so. Um, you know, I think that uh, the community is possibly starting to come around to see that this is a, a health issue. It's about protecting your children or the future of tomorrow, and uh, it, it was a good experience. Actually, I, I was—it was a good experience. And were you sitting down with them both together? I, I'm always curious about these ideas no, no, of getting actually, you know, politicians no, no, together. No, no. What happened was, I met with—I um, met. They give you—they give you a half an hour. It's yep. actually quite interesting because the petition is delivered in the red box, and I—I I can only deduce the fact that perhaps the red box means petition. And uh, uh, I, I went, I was uh, supported by two people from Change.org, Gary and Sally, and um, we weren't allowed to really walk around with the box, believe it or not, that had what the petition was about and how many people. I met with Warren separately for half an hour and then I met with Lisa for half an hour and uh, Warren was very supportive. And he said that he feels that um, the community and politicians need to know more about it and how it will work and, and things like that. And, um, and he said that this was just the beginning of it and that it was getting bigger, and I agreed. So that's, how it, that's kind of how it panned out. And so I'm interested that the change.org sent along to people uh, with you. Is that something that they do um, when it gets to a certain number of signatures or did you reach out to them or work with um, another organisation to, to make that happen? Because that sounds quite, quite impressive. Well, no, what, no, no, what happened was um, Gary initially left uh, change um, sort of kind of halfway through the petition and... Um, 
then he went back to the organisation or the service, whichever you want to call it. Um, I work alongside, well, you know, we support each other on harm. And um, so when Gary came back, he said to me, uh, look, I think we need to just, you know, really ramp this up. And I said, okay, this is great. Um, I think, I should have asked, I suppose, but, but I guess I think it is after a certain certain um, amount of signatures, it is about, you know, going to present it to people in Parliament and talking about it and and um, and that's how it all started, really. Um, they, start, uh, they started, or Gary started a GoFundMe page because um, I wouldn't have really been able to go on my own with the expenses. And um, that was, uh, the money was raised so quickly that I was just so surprised. And, um, and that's how it worked out. And so um, we, we haven't caught up with you since the trial in ACT. Do you have any sort yeah. of thoughts and feelings about, um, about that trial finally getting across the line? Oh, look, I think, I think it, it's, um, it, it was a great thing for it to happen. I read the reports about how there was, you know, two very deadly substances that they found. I think it was 178 people that, uh, that uh, try, you know, that tested the substances. And um, we can only hope that the states around Australia will follow um, the, the, will follow that. How that's going to pan out, I really don't know. I guess part of it's going to be education for politicians and the community as to how, you know, that this is really, you know, I, I get a lot of... I was asked a lot about, well, you know, do you think this is condoning drug use, which everybody that I speak to say and uh, I explained that this has nothing to do with drug use, this has got to do with stopping the death and that if I was a parent today of young teenagers, the way there's no safety net available, I would be scared stiff because um, uh, there's nothing out there except for their own determination and we all know people take drugs, as simple as that. There's not nothing new, it's Nothing horrifying, it just is. I think that's um, the most important part there, that, that you said that it's up to them and their determination. Because when people say, is it sending the wrong message, I, 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 I think that's the wrong thing to be saying. It's the wrong thing to be thinking that somebody else cares, some complete stranger cares what that person thinks, uh, what kind of message they're sending to them. Because in the end, it's up to people and their own determination um and i don't i don't think just saying just say no is um is good messaging anyway it's not it's not it has never worked no it doesn't it doesn't work you know it, it doesn't work uh since daniel has decided to leave this earth and left me in the thick of things i've i've done a lot of reading about all sorts of different things and i can tell you that we've done everything possible we've thrown people in jail with thrown dogs at them, police resources at them, and has it stopped? No. And um, whilst I understand people have determination, but we also need to have some sort of safety net to protect people. We have safety net for all sorts of things, you know, 0.05, alcohol, seat belts, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you can't do this. Well, what difference does this make? 
We know people are going to do it. Exactly. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 that's fine. I was just going to say we're just about out of time. But, Adriana, thank you so much for your work this week and going up and speaking to parliamentarians about this issue and and your tireless campaigning over the past few years as well. And don't forget to sign the the petition, change.org forward slash, I think it is, uh, stop the death. We'll make sure. Yep, we'll make sure to uh, share a uh, a link of that one again. Adriana, thanks very much for joining us on Psychedelia today. Thank you. Bye then. Bye. Bye. And that was uh, Adriana Bucanti uh, talking to us about um, her journey up to the uh, ACT uh, this week to uh, talk about the petition with a few parliamentarians. Uh, just about out of time, but a couple of events. Yarra Drug and Health Forum will be having their community forum on the uh, report into the parliamentary inquiry into drug law reform. That's happening at 4pm until 6pm at the Richmond Town Hall this coming Wednesday and will feature uh, Jeff Howard, Fiona Patton, um, who were on the uh, committee, and Nina Springle, the Greens Health Spokesperson. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you want to find out anything more from the program, 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the In Psychedelia program page and you can uh, find us on social media there as well. We'll be back next week from 2. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Queering the air up next. See ya. This is In Psychedelia. Comments, complaints or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website. 3cr.org.au and head to the In Psychedelia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email. In Psychedelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.